0: If you want to hand those out, that'd be great. But Lord, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your glory. Lord, I pray right now that you would help us have good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives watered by the Holy Spirit. And right now, as your word goes out, let it go as living seeds sown into that good fertile soil that's prepared by the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit will water that seed and it will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. But we thank you for your presence, and we bless you. In Jesus' mighty name, you guys can just find a place All right, Lord, we thank you. And I just right now, I just want to go ahead and read this first scripture and just dive into this, okay? Isaiah 4, verse 4, the Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. Then the Lord will create over all the mountain Zion, over all those who assemble there, a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of a flaming fire by night. And over everything, the glory will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and a shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and hiding place from the storm and the rain. The first thing I want to say right here is that God has been doing a work, okay, in all of our lives associated with this ministry. He's been doing a real deep purging, a real deep cleansing. And because of that, the Lord has prepared the way for the glory. So when everybody give me your best ear tonight. This is an important word for our church, okay, for the ministry as a whole. But the Lord has cleansed, he's purified, he's prepared the way for the glory. And I believe that that's the word of the Lord right now is the glory of his manifest presence is coming And I believe as we're living in these last days, the Bible talks about the end times as we're living in those days right now, that it will be extremely important that the glory of the Lord is over our lives as a canopy of protection over us individually, over our families. The glory can be over your home. The glory can actually be over your workplace. The glory can be over your vehicle when you drive down the road. The glory can be over you, and Romans 13 talks about armor of light can be over you. The glory of God is his manifest presence, and I'm just going to recap very quickly about last week. The glory of God is what Adam and Eve mainly lost in the garden. You know, they were nude before they ate the fruit, so why did they, you know, get all upset all of a sudden? at their nudity after they ate the fruit because the Bible says that they were created in the image of God and in the image of God they were wrapped in a garment of light. They had, Even though they were naked, they had the glory. And that security of that glory lifted off them. They felt insecure. They felt empty. They felt naked without the glory. And Jesus said in John 17 that we may be one in unity as him and the Father are one and share in his glory. All right. So we know the glory, the the unity of the brethren has a lot to do with the glory. But I'm going to tell you, being purified, letting the Lord deeply cleanse out everything that needs to go has a lot to do with the glory. But I feel in my heart strongly that God is going to be releasing his glory in these last days and we're going to need his glory. And I'm not just talking about the anointing. The anointing is what empowers you to do something for the Lord. When you lay hands on the sick, they recover, etc., driving out the demons. Everything that God has commissioned us to do the anointing empowers you to do that, but I'm not really talking about the anointing. I'm talking about the glory. The glory of God is not every word that the anointing is. <coughs> and I'm going to tell you that people minister sometimes out of an anointing, and they minister out of gifts that are in them, but they don't have the glory. Some people have... Yesterday's anointing, and they still have gifts because the gifts and calling is without repentance. They still have gifts, but they they sometime in their life, the glory departed. But yet they're still ministering under yesterday's anointing. They still have giftings that are operating, but the glory departed. So at some point in their life, something they gave in to sin, they got bitter, something happened where the glory lifted. And I want to say this real quick, and I'm going to move off this. But I'm going to repeat this. I may even repeat this next week in the sermon of what I'm about to say about bearing fruit. And I talked about it last night, but listen. The Bible says in Luke 13, 6 that Jesus told this parable that a man had a fig tree growing in a vineyard. He went to look for fruit on it but didn't find any. And so he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years I've been coming and looking for fruit on this fig tree. I haven't ever found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it. I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, I'll cut it down. Remember Jesus when he looked for Figs on the fig tree, what did he do when there wasn't any? He cursed him. John 15, 1 says, I'm the true vine, my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch that does not bear fruit. So let me just stop right there. I'm going to move off this quick because this really isn't a lot to do with my sermon. But I want to strongly encourage everybody to start asking the Lord where it is that you need to be bearing fruit. What giftings are in your life? The thing, I want everybody to hear my heart and not, and not take anything I said out of context, okay? But please hear my heart. I know pastors all over. I've known many, many ministers over the years. And I know from spending time with many ministers that they would love to use more people in the ministry than they can. But they know that some people just aren't dependable. And they can't. And let me just tell you what bearing fruit is, the area, wherever it is that you are gifted and anointed and called to be serving and doing something for the Lord, that you begin to be faithful there. See, the thing is, Jesus said, if you're faithful with little, I'll make you ruler over much. But there's so many people that they cannot be faithful with the littlest thing, and therefore the Lord cannot entrust them. And here's the thing. If they're not going to become faithful, the Lord loves them, but he will move them to the left, and he'll use somebody else that is faithful. It's not that he doesn't love them, because he does, but they cannot be faithful, and so therefore he cannot entrust them with whatever it is that he originally had planned for them. He'll have to move them off to the side and use somebody else. And a lot of churches and a lot of ministries, operate with just a skeleton crew because, you know, there's a saying among ministers that 10% of the people do, you know, 90% of the work. And that, that's true in the body of Christ across the board. But where is it that you're called and gifted and anointed? I'll give you an example. You know, Brian Johnson, you know, Bill Johnson's son leads worship. But I heard Bill talking about when he was a teenager, he would be back in his room playing guitar and worshiping in in private. See, what was happening was Brian discerned in his life that he was called to lead worship. He didn't have an audience. He did not have really that big of an opportunity when he was a teenager, but he knew that God had, had gifted him and anointed him to play guitar and sing. And so he would go and he would be faithful to worship the Lord when it was just him. That's being faithful with the little. And when it came time, God began to open it up, and he began to really use him. So if you've got a ministry and a calling on your life to do street evangelism and get out there, then here's how you get practical about this. Bearing fruit. How do you bear fruit? Whenever Anthony and Pastor Steve are going to take people on the street, you're here. You physically drive here. You are here, and you go out on the street. That's bearing fruit. Do you see what I'm saying? being gifted and anointed to do something is not bearing fruit. Bearing fruit is when you're doing it. And I know that people have been real faithful, so I'm not saying anything. I'm just putting this out there. Ask the Lord because when you're when you're bearing fruit, the Bible says he will prune you to make you even more fruitful. And so if you're if your gifting is that you're called to music, then start learning to play an instrument and start learning to sing and start doing it right now and be faithful with the little. And when it comes time, God will exalt and use you. But if, if people that can't be faithful to practice in the little, then how's God ever going to raise them up if they don't even know how to play their instruments or sing because they never, did. you see what I'm saying? It's being faithful with the little. If you're called to be an intercessor, that's where your anointing and your gifting is, then Tuesday nights, you know, Saturday before church, is is bearing faith. Fruit coming in and being used. Let yourself be a vessel. If you're not here praying, then how are you bearing fruit? As an intercessor. If your gifting is is you know preaching and teaching and things like that, pray that God give you the opportunity and start bearing fruit in that. If your calling is to kids, if it's to missions, if it's to work with young people, wherever it is that you're gifted and called, start being faithful with that. I feel that on my heart. I've felt that for for a long time. It's being faithful with the little. All right. And I'll tell you this too. you know Brother Kilpatrick used to say that God spoke to him about revival when revival broke out in Pensacola. and the Lord told him said, you were not my first choice. but see, here's the thing. Somebody else was not faithful, and God had to pass them over and use Brother John. I don't want to be that guy. But there's a lot of people like that. Catherine Coleman said um, she was not God's first choice to be doing what she was doing, but whoever was called was disobedient and was unfaithful, and therefore the Lord had to use her. That's what she said. All right. But the glory of God, His manifest presence, in my opinion, has a lot to do with discernment. The glory—here's the thing about the glory—like I mentioned before, you can have an anointing and you can have giftings in your life. You can have a calling. The giftings can be spectacular; as people would have words of knowledge that would blow your mind. They have a, a strong anointing. But I'm going to tell you something about the glory. The glory of God is not something that everybody has in their ministry and in their life. And the glory is something that God will not just put anywhere. And as soon as people start playing games, he'll pull it quick. You can slap oil on something. And it'll be there until it evaporates, even if it gets stale. So there's people that have been anointed, and that anointing is there for a long time, even though it's stale. But the glory will not stay where there's sin, where people are playing games, where people are going to try to merchandise the glory, where people are going to try to use it for their own selfishness. The glory won't stay. God, God doesn't play with the glory. But here's the thing about the glory. I think a lot of people are trying to bypass true discernment. Did you know the Bible says in Hebrews 5.14, Solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves, and the King James says, train their inner senses. You've trained your inner man to distinguish between good and evil. A lot of people are trying to get away from that discernment because true discernment comes from spending time with the Holy Spirit. It comes by praying in the Spirit. It comes by developing your inner man in the in the, in the you know praying in the Spirit, spending time in the anointing in the presence of God, getting in the Word. And so, a lot of people want to bypass discernment and they just want to get right into. Give me something black and white. And what they're doing is this. Let me give an example. We all know that Satan counterfeits things. And so people are so afraid of the counterfeit that they just throw everything out and they don't want anything to do with any of it. So like, for example, the gifts of the Spirit. Satan tries to counterfeit that so people are afraid. They, they don't want to have to discern Between what's of God and what's not, so they just throw out the whole thing and have nothing to do with any of the gifts. Do you see what I'm saying? And they don't, people, a lot of people out there don't want to have to develop discernment. But we have got to develop discernment in our lives. We've got to be able to know what's of God and what isn't because that is the only way, number one, that people are not going to be deceived and fall away. But number two, That's the only way that you're really going to move into the deeper things of God without getting pulled off into something weird. Do you see what I'm saying? You've got to develop discernment. Now, one of the things about discernment that I want to point out is this. The glory is one of the greatest things when it comes to discernment because God will not put his glory somewhere where things are wrong, number one, and Satan cannot counterfeit the true glory. That's impossible. Did everybody hear that? He can counterfeit the anointing and counterfeit gifts, and he can come as an angel of light, but he cannot counterfeit God's presence. I'm talking about the manifest presence, the glory. He can't counterfeit that. He tries to by coming as an angel of light, looking beautiful and shining and look like it, but if if you're familiar with the glory, you will know, When the glory is absent. But a lot of people don't even know what the glory of God is. They don't know what the glory feels like. The glory of God's in this place. You can feel the glory. And I'm going to tell you many times when the glory comes, it's a heavy weightiness. You can feel it. I remember there's times that God has put his glory on me and I physically could not move. I mean, it was just, it wasn't anything scary. It was just so heavy. And I've prayed for people, and they would joke about it because they'd be under the glory. And and one lady one time was joking, and she said it felt like this big fat angel sat on her. you know. And I was like, what is that supposed to mean? You know? But she was joking because she couldn't move because the glory of God was on her. She couldn't move. Listen, the glory of God is also in Isaiah. Let me read about this. Isaiah 60, verse 1, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of God rises upon you. Darkness covers the earth and thick darkness the people, but the Lord arises on you. His glory appears over you, and nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. The glory is God's weighty presence. That's the kabod in Hebrew, but the shekinah is his shining. It's the brightness of his presence. The enemy cannot counterfeit that. So let me me say this, because I see ministries even some ministries that that have signs and wonders about them. But sometimes I kind of wonder because there's such an absence of the glory. There may be an anointing, there may be giftings, but there's an absence of the glory. And it concerns me. I don't like to be around places that don't have the glory. Because to me that's a sign that something's probably not right somewhere. Do Do you hear what I'm saying? If I go somewhere and there's an absence of the glory, that's a red flag to me that there's probably something somewhere that's not right. Because God wants his glory among his people. This is important, and I hope you guys are hearing me. Because Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The glory. So, when there's something that's not right, the glory will lift. We need the glory, but God will not let his glory be where there is unrepentant sin, where there's bitterness, and I'll tell you one of the greatest hindrances to the glory in a lot of places is all the fighting, all the strife and the fighting that the devil stirs up among people, and it's usually one or two bad apples that are going around stirring it up, and if the leadership of the church would deal with it, then it would be gone, I would, listen, there's a lot of places people can go, but there's only one glory of God. So why would you live to make certain people happy whenever, you know, God can replace people, God can bring new people, but listen, live for the glory of God to come, and God will bless everything else. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you Some people live to make people happy, and as a result, the glory is long gone. But if you live to make the Lord happy, his glory will be there. And you may have some people that don't like you or whatever, but that's okay. There's a lot of places they can go, and God can replace them with new people. But you only have one glory. I hope you know what I mean by that. We need the glory. And if you live to host God's presence, God will take care of everything What's the effects of the glory? I talked about this last week, but Saul was the first king of Israel. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 10, verse, verses 6, 5 and 6, but I'm going to read verse 6. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you. Samuel was prophesying to Saul. You will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. So what the glory will do, the glory will change people. I've heard so many stories of people being in the glory where God totally, completely delivered them of something, healed them of something, healed them physically, healed them mentally, healed them emotionally, healed marriages, healed relationships. God changes, th- in the glory, God changes things. And I know that John Paul Jackson had a vision where the Lord showed him in these last days that there would be places where the glory of God would be th- so thick That even people that were ranked sinners, didn't even know the Lord, that were pulled into the glory would melt under the glory and get right with God. And anybody that had any type of sickness that came into that glory was instantly healed. That's the type of glory that God is about to bring to the body of Christ. I'm telling you. Before Jesus comes, that type of intensity of God's presence... Now, let me give you a warning about the glory. (coughs) Because I know that everybody in our ministry wants the glory. But the glory cannot be touched or played with. In 2 Samuel 6, verse 7, David was trying to bring the ark, which was the glory of God. He was trying to bring the ark. I believe it was in Gibeah. But he was trying to bring that into Jerusalem where he was at. Along the way, the problem was God always told the priest that they had to be the ones that carried the ark on their shoulders. So first, the main problem was David was not doing things the way the Lord told him to do it in the first place. He had it on a cart that was hauled by horses or donkeys or whatever, and they were pulling it down the road, and that was the first problem. I believe it was an ox, actually, and when the ox stumbled, The ark started to fall, and a man by the name of Uzzah reached up to catch the ark from falling, and the second he touched the glory, he dropped dead. 2 Samuel 6, 7, it says, The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down. He died there beside the ark. So what is the lesson that's learned there? When you're dealing with the glory of God, you better walk softly And you better be very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And do things the way the Lord wants it done. See, first and foremost, to really have the glory, we've got to move with the Holy Spirit as a person. He is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. He's a person. He will speak to you. He will lead you. He will move. And when he comes, you've got to go with him like a river. You flow with him. That's number one. And if you try to resist the leading of the Holy Spirit and do your own thing, the glory will lift. You've got to move with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one that brings the glory. So in other words, faith is is heaven's currency. It is what unlocks answered prayers. Faith is the key, but what is actually going to bring the change is the glory of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example. You pray for healing, you believe. That's the key. But the Holy Spirit is the one that by the the awesome presence of his glory changes somebody's flesh. You see what I'm saying? The, The Holy Spirit is the one through his glory who actually alters things. Through his power and his glory. Faith is what will open it up, but the glory is what brings the change. But you've got to move with the Holy Spirit and be careful not to take the glory. See, a lot of people touch the glory by, once the glory comes and things start happening, they try to get attention on themselves. And they want now for their name, their ministry, whatever it is, to be exalted. And they're trying to get the glory. They're trying to take the glory unto themselves. But the glory of God, God will not play with that and that's dangerous. Another thing about the glory is when the Philistines captured the Ark of God, took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod, then they carried the Ark into Dagon's temple. Now here's picture this. The Philistines, a heathen nation, come in and they steal the Ark of God. They thought, hey, what's this really cool-looking box that's got the gold on it? and the angel's wings. We're going to take this thing back, you know. This is this is awesome. And they probably thought to themselves cuz the way they are, hey, this is the this is the Hebrew God in this box, you know. That's probably what they were thinking. We got their God. <laughs> and so they take it back, right? And they carried the ark into Dagon. Now, Dagon was the Philistine god that looked like a big half man, half fish, if I understand history correctly about that, because they worshiped this fish god because they did a lot of fishing. And they thought if they had a fish god, he would help them catch a lot of fish. That's their theory. Okay, So anyway, they would worship. And so they had these priests of Dagon who would worship the fish god. So they decided it would be a good idea, since they caught the Hebrew god in a box, that they would put it in there by their fish god. Okay, Well, here's what happened. It says in verse 4, The following morning when they arose, there was Dagon falling on his face, lying on the threshold before the ark of God. His head, his his little fish head, and his hands were broken off and they were lying on the threshold and only his body remained. That is why to this day neither the priest of Dagon nor any others who entered Dagon's temple at Ashdod step on the threshold. So there's a big mistake. They put their fish god there in front of God's box, the ark, and God knocked it on the ground, broke its head and arms off. And so there it was laying there. Now, the Lord, it says in verse 6, the Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod. He was angry with them. He brought devastation on them and afflicted them with tumors. When the people of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said the ark of the God of Israel must not stay here with us because his hand is heavy on us and on Dagon, our God. So they called together all their rulers and asked them, what shall we do? Make a long story short, they took the ark, And the Philistine people like made little uh, golden tumor, (laughs) little golden tumors, and I think rats or something. But anyway, they made these little golden um, presents for the people of Israel, like forgive us for taking your box, you know, and they put it on a cart and they roll the thing back into the camp of God. And that was their, we want this thing out from among us, get it away from us. They roll it in with their little presents and they're like, we are sorry we offended your God. Okay, that's what they did. And so whenever the ark came back into Israel, the judgment of God lifted off the Philistines. Let me tell you, how does that apply? Don't think for one minute that God changes. God is the same. If his glory is in the midst of sin, please hear this because this may answer somebody's questions. If his glory is there and there's sin and idolatry and all this evil, it will actually bring judgment. And sometimes people wonder, why why are they sick? Why is this going on? And it's the judgment because God's glory will not tabernacle with sin and idolatry, etc. And now, the Philistine people, they weren't repentant people. They didn't burn Dagon, their God, and, and repent and serve the God of Abraham and get things right with God because if they had, God would have forgiven them, and etc. But they had to get away from the glory because the glory was actually bringing judgment on them because they were unrepentant people. Where the glory is, if people will not repent, and I'm going to tell you something else about the glory, if people will not repent of stuff and they're going to live in unrepentant sin, the glory, will it'll be a fire that drives them out. So the glory will either purify somebody or it will drive them out you hear what I'm saying? If somebody that is sinful and refuses to repent, the glory will actually judge them. It will work against them. The glory will work for the righteous, but it will work against the unrighteous. So what's the effects of the glory? God's manifest presence on somebody's body, soul, and spirit. The glory of God brings healing and wholeness. It softens people's hearts. I've heard so many times, I could tell you so many stories, so many revival stories. You know what marks revival more than anything else? Is It is a visit, it's a place where God's glory comes down and dwells there and people are radically transformed in the glory. That's really what revival is. When you look at revival historically, that's what revival is. What was it that happened at Brownsville? It was just simply the glory of God tabernacled there. Now at that revival where the glory was, there was a man, I'll give you one story about the glory, that had come and he was he was an apprentice, apprentice of a shaman. So he was somebody that was learning the dark arts and he thought he was going to sit out there in the courtyard of the um, right in front of the foyer over there by the trees and he was going to curse the church well none of it ever worked and one day he went in but he was so full of the demonic while they were worshiping God and everything the altar call came he said he couldn't move in, the, in that presence he said that he everything, all of his occult powers vanished He was just sitting there like this, like you know, because I mean, he was in the glory. So it's like all the stuff he had with the devil had no real power in the glory. You see what I'm saying? So he's sitting there like this, can't do anything. And this is the grace of God. This was an angel. Okay, he said something, picked him up under his shoulder, picked him up, and physically carried him down and plopped him down in the altar where he gave his life to Christ. He said, "I don't." He said, "I did not voluntarily go down, and I don't know how I got there." He said, it wasn't a human. Something picked me up and carried me down there and plopped me down in the altar with all those people that were praying. He gave his life to Jesus, and he was set free. But in the glory, he could not operate in all of that weirdness. It shut him down. It shut down those demonic forces. You know, they lose the power in the glory. Just like Dagon, the fish god, collapsed and his little head broke off and his hands in the glory. But the glory will bring change like nothing else. I'm telling you, the glory will transform. Now, people that have had visitations of the glory on a level that they've seen things, there's been people that have seen physical manifestations of the glory where they have seen fire literally appear in their midst. Remember on the day of Pentecost, the tongues of fire? That was the glory. But people, there have been true stories I've heard, and even people I know that this happened to, I think R.W. Schambach told this story too. I've heard multiple stories where people were in a revival meeting and fire trucks would pull up because somebody called in that that the building was on fire because it looked like the top of their building had flames of fire and smoke and they really thought the building was on fire, for real. So they call and they say there's a fire on such and such. They get there. There's no fire. It's the glory. But they're seeing a physical manifestation. Other people have seen a cloud of God's glory come into a place, a haze, like smoke. Others have seen the little gold dust floating in the air, and it's the glory. Now, that's happened many places. But the glory of God in the physical, that's how the glory would kind of show up. Remember in the Old Testament, it was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud of a smoke by day. Another thing about the glory in the Old Testament time when Solomon sacrificed all those animals and he dedicated his temple the blood had had cleansed okay and the glory of God got so thick in the temple that the priests that went in there to minister could not stand physically could not stand they collapsed under the glory and they couldn't do their service because they were pinned on the floor by the glory of God That's the glory. The power of God, the dunamis, you feel the power of God, it's like a jolt of electricity. You feel waves, sometimes waves of electricity in the atmosphere. That's the power. But the glory is a weighty, heavy presence. This is the last thing. I want to close with this, but I'm I'm asking the Holy Spirit right now to really... Cause everybody to get aligned and focused and let this get in your spirit. And I'm praying right now for retention that this will really get in you right now in Jesus name. But this is the last thing, the glory, you know, we, you know, I know that people in, in our ministry and those connected to us. I know that you want God's manifest presence. You want the glory. You want it in your life. How many of you guys really do just think about it? I'm not asking for a show of hands, but you want the glory in your home. You want to wake up, and you feel the glory in your home. I, I thank God for this, and I pray it never leaves, but that's, it's like that here. I feel the glory. But I'm going to tell you, how many want the glory when you're driving down the road, and you're just sitting there you know, listening to worship or whatever, and the glory is in your car? You can have that. You're sitting at work, and the glory on you. You come to church in the glory is That's the way I want to live. I want to be in the glory as much as possible. But to get into the Holy of Holies, before you could get into the Holy of Holies, there was the altar of incense, which was golden, and that incense represented praise and worship, prayer, and intercession. I know you guys know a lot about praise. I know you know a lot about worship, and I believe you know a lot about prayer. Because I've taught on prayer a lot. But let me tell you, I'm not sure how much you really thoroughly understand about intercession. And intercession is not necessarily something that can be intellectually grasped. Some things are taught, like on a blackboard, you write it down, you explain it, it's taught and you can understand, you can wrap your mind around it. Some things are caught. Some things are spirit taught. It's something the Lord teaches you by his spirit and it's hard to communicate with English words. But this is what I'm going to talk about. It's not something that I can really explain really well, but if you let the Holy Spirit use you, you'll pick up on it, and it's something the Holy Spirit will teach you. Throughout history, major revivals like awakenings, like Jonathan Edwards, others, I'm talking about awakenings, major revivals, have been marked by the weeping and the wailing and the intercessors. I know that this is something that you guys understand. I believe that you've you've got a glimpse of this. I believe that you've tasted of this and it's there. But I feel like it's got to go deeper. Through intercession, let me read to you these two scriptures Romans eight twenty six. It says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't know what we should pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes through us with groanings that cannot be uttered. In other words, another translation I put in here, it's wordless groans. In other words, groans that are not words. So it's not English. So you're not even necessarily praying in English or necessarily praying in the Spirit. But it's the groans, the weeping. You know, Steve Hill saw a great harvest of souls. And Steve, his favorite um, his favorite scripture, he told me himself, he wrote it down in one of his books and signed it, is the, the scripture in Psalms that says, those that sow with tears will reap with joy. Let me read to you one more scripture. Galatians 4.19, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So how in the world is Paul in the pains of childbirth? It's a spiritual thing. Do you remember Elijah? When Elijah put his head down between his knees and he was, he was travailing and that cloud came and, and the rain came. Let me tell you, this type of intercession, I'm, I'm hoping I can communicate to you somehow. Is the type of intercession that is directly connected with a a great harvest of souls and is directly connected with a major move of God. And I'm talking about historically. It's the type of prayer that is deeper than just saying, getting a mic, and your sinner going, Lord, we ask you for souls. It's much deeper than that. It's something that you cannot even initiate. You know. My mother had said something in passing. She said that many people that have had visions of Jesus lately, in the last five, ten years or whatever, have seen him weeping. And she said it's because he's doing a lot of intercession, and that's, that's right on. The Bible says he ever lives to intercede. So Jesus is weeping for the harvest. And here's what happens. This type of intercession is much, much deeper than what I can communicate to you, and it's where actually... Jesus, the intercessor, drops into you his burden, and you share in that burden, and you're weeping, travailing, you're groaning, and I'm going to tell you that type of prayer, it's deeper than your intellect, it's deeper than words. It's the type of intercession that really (coughs) releases something in the spiritual realm that's very powerful, and I don't believe there's any other way to get it. I've been in this thing long enough now to know that there are certain things that are really powerful. And I remember that God gave me the grace whenever I was young in the ministry, very, very young. I was like 19 years old, 20. I was discipled by Ruby and Addie were two elderly women. They were intercessors, and I would, I would hear, you know, whenever God mightily touched one time Brianna and Caitlin, you guys probably remember they fell out and there was the weeping. I heard those sounds all the time. And I remember being around that all the time, and I, and I was so just on fire for God and in revival, and I didn't know a lot. I didn't know a lot in the Bible at the time. I just knew when I was with them and they prayed, stuff happened. I mean, that's just it. I mean, it, it didn't take a genius to figure out that they knew something I needed to know. And I'm telling you, I would watch them pray, and they, they would. It was, sometimes it was English, sometimes it was praying in tongues, and sometimes it was this groan's, But when they prayed, stuff happened. And I had such a respect for them, and they taught me about prayer. And I knew from that time, I knew that if we could get that in the churches, I knew something would begin to move. I knew that there was a connection with that revival because I would hear them weeping and wailing on like a Saturday night, and then Sunday morning, I would see what would happen. A lot of people would, here's the thing about a lot of churches. A lot of churches cannot find faithful people that'll pray they usually have you know 300 people and they got two that'll come and pray that's usually how it is and and and, but anyway i was with the two that's where i hung out because that's where god was okay just to be honest and i remember that when they prayed these things that you would hear even what they were praying that specific thing would break out in the church and so whenever we started having the ministry, I knew that we had to have a strong foundation of intercession. And I believe that we have strong prayer. I believe that the fasting is strong. I believe that, you know, the praying in the spirit, there are certain things that are really going good. And I believe that these, these groans that I'm talking about, this deep intercession, it's there. But I want to tell you, to allow it to increase. And I feel this by the Spirit of God. I normally wouldn't say this, but the Holy Spirit is saying this through me. He's saying, I need intercessors that will work with me. And what I see right now, and I'm prophesying now, I want you to hear me. What I see right now is the Holy Spirit as a wind, and it's just like the wind would blow into a flute, and it would make a certain sound. The Holy Spirit is wanting to breathe into this place and breathe into you intercessors and that when he breathes into you, a certain sound is going to come out of you and that sound is the sound of heaven and it's going to move things. But you've got to yield yourself to it and I feel the Holy Spirit saying that you intercessors don't need to abandon your post and you don't need to back off. You need to make it a point to be at places of prayer so that you can be used. You're a vessel. And I'll say this too. I feel that there there's certain areas that Satan really resists. And I'm going to tell you, the two he'll probably resist the most. He resists prayer and intercession a lot, but he also resists going out and winning souls. Those are the two big ones, and they go together because you're not going to have an effective Harvest without having an effective intercessor. You can take two evangelists. Both of them have the same anointing, same gifting, same similar personality, whatever. You take one of them and they've got intercessors travailing and fasting and praying for them, for him. You take another one that has no prayer. You put them out there. The one without prayer is not going to see a lot and it's not his fault. But I feel this in my spirit it's burning in me and I hope and I pray that the intercessors hear me and get a hold of this the intercessory ministry is one of the most important ministries in revival because it is what actually births the souls into the kingdom you can't have a Steve Hill up there preaching bringing in souls without having the intercessors behind the scenes you got to understand when the revival was going on at Brownsville that they had a team of intercessors led up by Lila and Pastor brought her in and she was there and, and they had this team of intercessors and they prayed and they they fasted and they, they were the reason for the harvest. You know, you just had the evangelist come in and he would preach the gospel, but it was the prayers before that that brought him in. Carlos and in in the Argentine revival, they they would pray, they would fast, they would intercede until they felt that God had given them the city. And they would have visions sometimes of the strong man being bound. But even after all of that, when Carlos had gone into the city, literally whole cities were coming to Christ. But while he was preaching the gospel from that platform, underneath the platform, he had all these team of intercessors that were underneath his feet that were travailing and weeping and praying for souls. He was smart enough to know that his evangelistic apostolic gifting or whatever was not enough. He needed the intercessors. You read the Apostle Paul, even in the Scriptures itself, saying, Please pray for me. Pray for me. Intercede for me. So here's what I'm saying. Things will only go as deep and as far as intercessors are willing to go with it. And the message I feel is this. The Lord, his glory is about to increase a lot in our midst. I feel that. I feel the glory is about to increase a lot. And what I saw was just like you guys know what I'm talking about. You put a bag of popcorn in the microwave and you hit start and you stand back. And all of a sudden, just randomly, different ones are popping. And that's what I saw. I saw like in the glory, the glory fire, all of a sudden it was like miracles would pop. Somebody would just pop and there would be something they – we're believing God for that just happened. It was just miracles, just like popcorn popping out. That's what I see is coming. But I also see coming is that the intercessors have got to be the ones that are going to help pray this thing in. And it's going to be deeper than just your English and sometimes even deeper than just your prayer language. It's going to be these groans that can't be uttered that the Holy Spirit himself (laughs) will intercede through you And God will put you in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in other people. So your tears, you have no idea. what You sow in tears, you reap with joy. You have no idea when you're travailing and you're weeping over here about souls. You have no idea that whenever, you know, Anthony's off in Zimbabwe, that there's some guy that shouldn't have even been there, that's going to be there somehow. Somehow he got there. And he's born again. He goes back. You have no idea whenever the the young people go on the streets and there's somebody that comes to know Jesus, you have no idea about those that are in the prayer tank that are off in some other part of this country or or another nation or whatever, and all of a sudden their heart is softened to the gospel and they come to Jesus. And it's because of your intercession that it happened and it would not have happened otherwise. It It is intercession. That moves things, I'm telling you. So in the glory, people will encounter Christ, their lives will be changed. In the glory, people will be healed and set free. In the glory, people will get in fi- on fire for God and be empowered. Here's what I feel the Lord is saying to everybody. We have got to be faithful to get wherever it is that God is wanting to use us. If he's wanting to use you in music, that you start making yourself available. If he's wanting to use you on the streets, start making yourself available. If he's wanting to use you in intercession, you need to make yourself available. But start being a faithful, wise steward with whatever it is God has called you to be. And bearing fruit... For the kingdom. But God is about to increase his glory, but he's also needing the intercessors to be like an instrument. That was a really powerful prophecy when I was speaking that. I could see the, the Holy Spirit breathing into people and it's like that breath. It was like the Holy Spirit was playing an instrument through you and it was like the sounds of heaven, the groans of Jesus himself, the groans of heaven that we're bringing in the the souls into the kingdom. So your weeping and your tears and the groans are not in vain. They are doing something. They're bringing in a harvest. It's what they're doing. So Lord, we ask you, I want you intercessors, those of you that feel any type of an intercessory calling at all, I want you to put your hand on your heart even those that are online that are watching I want you to put your hand on your heart with me Mm -hmm. and I want you right now I'm going to pray for you but ultimately you have got to make yourself available you've got to be at prayer meetings if you're going to pray you've got to make yourself available in, in your own personal prayer life but Lord I pray right now for the intercessors Lord the grace and the wisdom to be faithful to bear fruit. But Lord I ask you to begin to breathe on the intercessors. And let them be your instruments. To bring the sounds of heaven. This, the, the intercession of Jesus. Into the earth. Jesus ever lives to intercede. The true intercession of Jesus. The tears. For the harvest. And Lord we ask you to increase your glory increase the glory, increase the kabbat, increase the Shekinah and I feel the Lord also saying that as prayer comes up that there's going to be things coming in there's going to be people coming in as prayer goes up people and finances are coming in And we're right on the threshold of it. I'm telling you. I want the intercessors to help me out. I'm moving with the Holy Spirit. I'm not just, you know, let's just do something that's fun or whatever. I'm not doing that. I'm moving with the Holy Spirit. So I want the intercessors, if you feel an intercessory call, I want you to go quickly over here by the area that's representing the harvest. And I want you to begin to pray and intercede for the harvest. And Lord, I'm asking you to pray and intercede through them, not just, Lord, for souls, but Lord, also, there's much more than that. There's people being healed. There's people being delivered. Lord, there's people being baptized in the Holy Ghost. Lives that are transformed. Say, come on. Lord, we thank you.